According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. We are in Proverbs. And this morning we are turning to Proverbs chapter 13 and getting our first look at a new chapter this morning, Proverbs chapter 13. I think we uh, wrapped up uh, the last, well we can always do more with that in in, uh, the end of Proverbs 12. In the way of righteousness is life and in its pathway there is no death. And uh, we spent a, a Wednesday detailing Old Testament soteriology what might be some of the Bible verses that uh, regenerate parents would use to their children in giving them an Old Testament gospel in uh, the recognition that they must believe in Yahweh, that they must believe uh, to receive eternal life. They must be born again. And um, this is a passage that would go a long way towards that. In the way of righteousness is life and in its pathway there is no death. And so there is a gate by which we must enter. And on the other side of that gate, there is a path. There is a lifestyle. There is a way of life that we call, of course, today the Christian way of life. But anyway, so from an Old Testament perspective, we went through some passages on Old Testament soteriology. And uh, I think we got through those. All right. Proverbs 13, 1 then. A wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. And uh, concepts we've had before, we're going to have them again. They come up over and over and over again. We want to be wise. We don't want to be the scoffer in, uh, in that capacity. Before we begin, let's take a moment for silent prayer, asking the Father to bless our time of study, asking Him to <coughs> overcome congestion or any other human limitations that might impair our study today. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do thank you for this morning and the truth of your word and the blessing we have to assemble together. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness day by day and moment by moment. I thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, see if we can get back up to speed after having last week off. Appreciate uh, Lewis filling in for me in the evening and the blessings of uh, taking some time away. Don't get me going or I'll give you a rundown of all 31 Scrabble games play-by-play. All right. Proverbs 13, a wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. We're going to take the first four verses as a unit. I think the structure of the poetry uh, does well in that regard. Uh, Verse 2 says, from the fruit of a man's mouth, he enjoys good, but the desire of the treacherous is violence. The one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is made fat. All right, and fat's a good thing, I've got to tell you that, and we'll, we'll illustrate uh, as we go work our way through these verses. All right, so there's the first four verses of uh, the chapter, which I think form a, uh, a structure here that we'll handle in, uh, in this message. The beginning of chapter 13 echoes chapter 10. The beginning of chapter, this is point one in the outline, the beginning of chapter 13 echoes chapter 10. You can hold your finger here and look at it. Both chapters begin with a wise son. 
Remember in chapter 10 we began a new section of Proverbs. It has a section heading where it says the Proverbs of Solomon. Remember that? We don't have a new section heading in chapter 13, but what we do have is a parallel text to the remainder of chapter 10 and verse 1 that very much uh, sets it apart as a unit. A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. That's how chapter 10 began. And very, in a very similar fashion, chapter 13 begins, a wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. And so it definitely is uh, a fresh start. I think it causes a lot of uh, scholars, a lot of students of Proverbs to kind of view uh, chapters 10 and 11 and 12 as a unit, to view that as the first major section of 10 through 24, all right? And then to take chapter 13 as a unit, uh, separate from 10 through 12 and separate from 14 and following. Remember, in, under canonicity, uh, these Proverbs were assembled later, that Solomon did not write these Proverbs in this order. And uh, in many respects, they were gathered later. In fact, chapter 25 and following wasn't gathered and assembled until the days of Hezekiah, okay, some 300 years after Solomon, and then added to the canon at that point of time. And so the nature of editing, the nature of, uh, of, of putting the Psalms in the order therein, putting the Proverbs in the order therein is, uh, is, is, is an interesting study and an important one. When you do uh, your Old Testament text criticism and you do your Old Testament canonicity. So uh, I have no problem accepting Proverbs 13 as a, as a separate composition that Solomon wrote at some point in his life. And then when it was compiled together in the canon, probably by, um, a lot of it was done before Hezekiah's time. A lot of it was done in Hezekiah's time. Ultimately, the last stage of it was done in, uh, in Ezra's time. So in the post-captivity time. And so Ezra the scribe may be the very one that, that put the, the final order to the Psalms and to the Proverbs. In any event, um, so the beginning of chapter 13 echoes chapter 10. Both chapters begin with a wise son. And this is part of the uh, personal and public wisdom. This is a section of Proverbs that's, that's written to um, believers in their own generation. Whereas chapters 1 through 9, we have titled parental wisdom. It's very um, uh, vocative. It's very much parents speaking to children still under their authority. My son, my son. Uh, listen to my teaching. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Uh, there's all those exhortations that are spoken of in the second person, right? Where the author is speaking to his son, pleading with him. In chapters 10 through 24, it's, it's very much in the third person. It's not parents pleading with their children. It's in the third person saying, this is what a wise son is. This is what a wise son does. A wise son accepts his father's discipline. Or just cross off that word accepts. A wise son, a father's discipline. And we're going to talk about that. It is, it is a beautiful um, statement that's, that launches this section or this chapter. And this is what a wise son does. This is what happens. This is the fruit of raising your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That when you ground them in scriptures from a young age, when he is old, he will not depart from it. That he is a wise son because you pounded it into him. That including the discipline, the corrective discipline that, uh, that shapes who he is. All right. So both chapters demonstrate that personal and public wisdom is the legacy of parental wisdom instilled from childhood. 
Both chapters demonstrate that personal and public wisdom is the legacy of parental wisdom instilled from childhood. (coughs) All right. Now a couple of other structural items here under this. Uh, Verses 1 and 2 is bracketed by verses 24 and 25. And that's, again, a clue in the text that shows us some of the common words and some of the common themes that will give us like a header and a footer, that will give us a a parameters of of a a unit. And uh, and we have that here. All right. Uh, Verses 1 and 2, again, starting with a wise son, the father's discipline, the scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Verse 2, from the fruit of a man's mouth, he enjoys good but the desire of the treacherous is violence. And when you contrast that down to the end of the chapter, looking at verses 24 and 25, again, we have the parental discipline here. He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Very much in the parallel with verse 1 and then verse 25, the righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the stomach of the wicked is in need. And again, in parallel with verse 2, we have the mouth and we have the stomach and the, what happens then when this fruit is, uh, is produced and consumed. And so we have concepts of satisfaction versus need or, or dissatisfaction, which is the, uh, the uh, antithesis of wisdom, the antithesis of satisfaction. When you're walking in the light, when the Word of God is sufficient, when you are content with God's grace and God's Word and God's plan and everything in the will of God, then you have that well-balanced diet of, of truth. And, uh, and you're not in need and you're not in hunger and you're not in, uh, in uh, the sense that you have, as it says in verse 2, the desire of the treacherous is violence. You're not uh, lusting after more and you're not uh, dissatisfied with what God has provided. Again, verse 25, the righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the stomach of the wicked is in need. You can never satisfy sin. You can never satisfy the sin nature. You can never satisfy cosmos viewpoint. The unbelievers that are out there living in the world system, they will not find satisfaction even when they get what they think they want. Even when they achieve everything their earthly mind could hope for, they're still going to have a dissatisfaction that comes from being apart from the will of God, apart from the plan of God. So we'll talk about that as well. So verses 1 and 2 are bracketed by verses 24 and 25, and I think it helps to establish that chapter 13 is a unit, and uh, and it's a a good chapter division, and it's a good uh, 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 thing there. Chapter 13 demonstrates well-adjusted adults are the product of loving discipline. And from top to bottom throughout this chapter, we have a picture of, of a well-adjusted adult on the one hand versus somebody that's not, (laughs) all right? Somebody that's not grounded in Scripture, somebody that is not disciplined. He was not disciplined as a child, and as a result, he's an undisciplined adult. He is not living in God's wisdom. He is is, uh, living out there in the world and for the world, if he's even saved, see, and uh, and aspects there. So it's an interesting chapter, and I think we're going to we're going to do well with it. Um, I'm tempted to read all 25 verses to you here this morning just to <coughs> for the sake of proving my next point um, because you're not going to believe it and I didn't believe it when I read it. 
I forget which commentary pointed it out. There was a commentary that made a statement to which I said, no way. What kind of a moron would put that in a commentary? That can't be true. And then I found out that it's true. This chapter has no direct reference to God. God is not in this chapter. Yahweh is not in this chapter, either to God or the Lord. Neither one appears in Proverbs 13. Okay? Direct reference. Direct reference. Now we can read between the lines, and obviously we see, we see God in every verse. We see uh, the Word of God. We see um, when it talks about the Word. Well, what Word is that? It's the Word of God. And when we talk about righteousness, well, what righteousness is that? It's the righteousness of God. And so the themes are definitely there. The mindset is definitely there. But the personal reference is not. There is not one reference to God in this chapter or to Yahweh or to the Lord. Okay? And that's interesting. Um, and it shows, I think it shows, that uh, when we talk about spiritual life versus uh, temporal life, when we talk about uh, the laws of divine establishment, for example, that, uh, that God's Word does provide wisdom for application that applies to marriage and applies to family and applies to nationalism. It applies to biblical economics. It applies to um, a broad assortment of, of temporal life, of daily living. And even an unbeliever can use those principles and be ethical in his, in his marriage, be, uh, be blessed in his family life, be uh, profitable in his, in his business pursuits if he's structuring his secular life according to the standards of the Word of God, that there is an establishment life benefit to God's truth. And, uh, and that's, that's interesting to me, without once mentioning God, without once mentioning um, uh, the Lord, mentioning Yahweh or mentioning anything with respect to that. <clears throat> anyway, that's uh, an interesting thing. Um, so, uh, if you don't believe me, then uh, read all 25 verses, and, and you'll find that uh, there's, there's idolatry, there's abomination, there's the Word, um, there's righteousness, there's wickedness. I mean, the concepts here clearly demand that God exists and that His standard is the standard we're living up to, but, um, but a direct reference, God is not named. Nowhere here in this chapter. All right, so let's start with verse 1 then. And let's boil it down. Let's make it simple. Because um, the first phrase here is only four words. Son, wise, discipline, father. Okay, that's it. That's the first half of verse 1. And a lot of times this, is, this happens in Hebrew poetry. Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew poetry is very economical in its use of words. And, uh, and this is a, a great illustration of that, almost as, 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 as uh, straightforward as the 23rd Psalm, for example, <coughs> or other things. We have, uh, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We have a nine-verse opening to, to Psalm 23, uh, nine words in that first verse to Psalm 23, right? Done. Um, and, and in Hebrew, it's only four words. In, and it takes nine in English, okay? And so in, in poetry, we can sometimes have a very economical statement, and we have that here. Uh, ben Chacham Musar Av are the four words, son, wise, discipline, father. And so we end up with some helping words, um, like accepts or listens to, 
um, his, you know, a wise son accepts his father's discipline, for example, or a wise son listens to, and, and really those helping words get included because they're found in um, the second part of verse one, in the in the in the completion of the of the dualism of the poetry there. But a scoffer does not listen to rebuke, right? So a wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. And so it's not necessarily wrong or bad or um, improper to find some helping words, put them in there to complete the thought. That's actually very common and very normal. But I'm, I'm considering, though, that in this case, it's not absolutely necessary that Hebrew left it as an ellipse for a reason, and we can accept it as an ellipse for a reason. And instead of uh, putting in helping verbs, um, don't put in any verbs. Just leave it as, a, as an ellipse. Leave it as a statement with the idea of is being, uh, being inferred, right? So as we read it, son, wise, discipline, father. Okay? A wise son, a father's discipline. And, and that tells you everything you want to know. If there is a wise son, a young man that's uh, in his own generation, a, a young man that's, uh, that's left the home, a young man that's venturing out in life, a young man that would be of uh, marriageable age, that would, might be looking for uh, a helpmate for, uh, for his wife, um, a young man with wisdom, what you're looking at there is a father's discipline. In a sense, he is the father's discipline. That father's discipline is, gonna, is going to uh, be on display everywhere that young man goes. Okay? Anyway, there's, there's similar idioms today. In fact, there's even Facebook memes that go around today. And you'll see uh, some people that post things like, uh, you know, um, because I was disciplined as a, I was spanked as a child, so I have respect for authority or respect for elders or uh, polite manners and, and things like that. I'm misquoting it, but have you seen that Facebook meme? You know, it's called "I was spanked as a child." <laughs> okay, so now the effects are um, certainly better than we're seeing in this generation. Okay, because we're seeing a whole crop of of uh, people following the philosophy that says don't spank your children. And so what are we seeing? We're unleashing upon this world undisciplined youths that are now undisciplined adults. And we're going to see that at the end of the chapter, the consequence, what it is, is a lack of love. He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. That's the conclusion to Proverbs 13. That's the application made in, in the book of Hebrews. What son is there that's without discipline? The son that's not loved. The son that is not acknowledged by his father. And I think that it's, it has to be that way in, in the plan of God. Otherwise, we, we launch forth a, a dysfunctional generation. And it just rolls downhill from there. All right. <coughs> so however you want to write this down under point two, just write it down as those four words. Son, wise, discipline, father. That's uh, Ben or Bain for son, Chacham. We gave you the, the Chachma wisdom uh, vocabulary in the, way back in the introduction to this study. 
uh, musar we also gave. That's the, that's the disciplined instruction. That's the nurture and admonition of the Lord. When you get to the New Testament, that's your paideia of the New Testament. Uh, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And keep in mind, if you don't bring them up in this discipline, you are provoking them to wrath. The child that's not disciplined becomes an angry child. The child that is, doesn't have the, the bridle is uncontrolled. Okay, And there's a reason why when it says here, um, you've got the scoffer in, in verse 1b, and then you've got the treacherous and violence in 2b. You see that? From the fruit of a man's mouth. That's the father's mouth. And the fruit that's gone forth is the discipline in that young man's life when he enters into his own generation. But the desire of the treacherous is violence. The undisciplined youth that goes forth as the angry young man. He's treacherous and he's violent because he was never disciplined as a child. So, there is no verb in the text. So a verb is either supplied usually from the second half of the verse, listens to, I have no problem with that. A scoffer does not listen to rebuke. A wise son will listen to a father's discipline. Uh, that's, that's, that's a given, and we have other verses that say that. But this verse doesn't say that. This verse leaves them as an ellipse without a verb. <clears throat> so a verb is either supplied from the second half of the verse or the ellipsis is left to stand and an is is understood. Wise son, Father's discipline. I like that. Why is son father's discipline? The parental appeal was made at great length in chapter 4, and it gets recapped repeatedly in subsequent chapters. And you'll notice this. Uh, we've already shown you that there's parallel between uh, 10.1 and 13.1. A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. Keep in mind, we're not talking about little kids still in the home. We're talking about adult children. What joy is it that a parent has? Well, go to the New Testament, and John says, I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. You know, And I don't care if they're doctors or they're lawyers or they're rocket scientists or I don't care if they're whatever they are. If they're living in the Word of God, if they're under teaching, that's all that matters. All right, they're in the will of God under teaching. All the rest of it is, is all these things shall be added unto you. Chapter 13 and verse 1, a wise son accepts his father's discipline. And you know, uh, if, you're, if you're living it out because it was grounded into you as a child, yeah, then yeah, so you're, you're 20, you're 30, you're 40, you're 50, and your father's discipline still benefits you today. You're not living in an unruly life. Now, he's not following you around and, and shouting in your ear anymore. He doesn't have to, okay? In fact, he can barely walk anyway. So how is he going to follow you around? But the influence is still there, okay? The discipline is still there. And we learn to appreciate that. Chapter 15, and um, <coughs> I put down verse 20. I, I debated putting... Uh, well, you can also kind of include verse 5. A fool rejects his father's discipline, but he who regards reproof is uh, sensible. Verse 20, a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. So it's being summarized again and again and again, that lengthy appeal that really is the content of chapter 4. Finally then, chapter 29 and verse 3. 
<coughs> Proverbs 29.3 <coughs> A man who loves wisdom makes his father glad, but he who keeps company with harlots wastes his wealth. And there too, we're not, this, is, this is an adult son. When we get past chapter 9, where we're, we've completed the parental wisdom section of Proverbs, 10 and following, you're dealing with adult capacity. Believers that are living in the Word of God or not living in the Word of God. And so then the, uh, the test that it comes. And you'll notice, the, uh, what, what are the father and mother expected to do about it? Let's say the father is happy. He's got a wise son. Let's say the mother is sad because she's got a foolish son. What, what, what then do you do? Okay, what does the what does the sad father do? What does the sad mother do? Because hey, can't spank him anymore. <laughs> you know, uh, that's that's when you really learn what the intercessory prayer is all about, and you really learn what it means to uh, to uh, you're still a parent, but you're no longer parenting in the hands-on aspect. You're you're praying, and that's uh, that's what it is <coughs> in that regard. All right. I got to get a decongestant or something. I'm feeling feeling that down in there. Okay. Um, don't want to spend the whole time in it, but you remember, let's just grab the highlights here from chapter four. And you'll notice the tone. You'll notice the, the second person address rather than the third person generic statements. <coughs> personal appeals rather than impersonal declarations. Proverbs 4.1, hear, O sons, the instructions of a father. And this is, uh, this is Musar, this is the discipline instruction. Give attention that you may gain understanding, for I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. When I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother. Remember when Solomon was born, the grief that Bathsheba had? That first child died. That was a divine discipline for their adultery. And then uh, David had a minister to her. And so uh, when I was a child, a son to my father, tender and the only son on the side of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. And this is the spiritual priority that a father instills upon their children. And, uh, you know, this gets, this gets really, this gets real when your kids leave home and, and there they go. All right. Then he taught me, and let's see, uh, verse 5, acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. I don't care where you go, I don't care what you do, I don't care what job you take, what state you live in, you better be under teaching. Absolutely, be under teaching, be under solid teaching. Don't go to light and fluffy. Do not forsake her and she will guard you. Love her and she will watch over you. This is how you know that the next generation is going to stand because the Word of God will make them stand. Prize her and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. (laughs) You're not worried about the kind of girls he's embracing because he's embracing the Word of God. All right? And doctrine will shape his thinking. He will be in the light, walking in fellowship. And so we see that there. You get down... um, 
verses uh, 20 through 27. My son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings, do not let them depart from your sight, keep them in the midst of your heart. So you can neglect them, you can drift. And if you start to skip and you start to lose your appetite, it just it gets worse and worse and worse. Watch over your heart with all diligence, it says in verse 23. Watch over your heart. See, what happens when you're not being renewed in the Word of God? You're being conformed to this age. And your heart then pays the price. Put away from you a deceitful mouth. Put devious speech far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead. Let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Turn your foot from evil. So there's the parental appeal. And a whole chapter given over to that. Really, the the bulk of these first nine chapters is is just saturated with parents pleading with their children. And then we see how it gets recapped repeatedly in the subsequent chapters. The alternative to the wise man is the scoffer. (coughs) Remember the scoffer? Worse than a fool. You know, a fool can grow up A scoffer doesn't think he needs to. A fool has ignorance and a scoffer revels in it because he thinks he knows better. The scoffer is the defiant fool who will not listen to an earthly father and then, of course, by extension, will not listen to God the Father. And the whole point, a son who learns to listen to his father is being trained to be an adult believer listening to his heavenly father. That's the point. That's why God designed humanity to be generational, to be procreative, to image God and to reflect the role of God the Father and God the Son, to demonstrate that the Son learns all things from the Father, and and this is the pattern. So we've had teaching on the scoffer before, in chapter 1 and chapter 3 and chapter 9, but then it comes up ten times. In, in the personal and public wisdom portion of the book, from chapter 10 to chapter 24, ten times this scoffer will get addressed, the leets will get addressed in, uh, in this section. Okay? And, uh, and you know it. You know it. That's the, that's the know-it-all. We're surrounded by them. We're surrounded by scoffers all day, every day. The, the, uh, the, the minions of this fallen world, they're scoffers, Right? 2 Peter 3 calls them mockers. Know this, first of all, that mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own ungodly lusts, and saying, where is the promise of His coming? You get all these know-it-alls that's, that believe that uh, the Bible is wrong, and that all these things, just let it go, and come on, get with, uh, get with the times. Enter into the modern world. All right. We live surrounded by scoffers. We don't want to sit in the seat of scoffers. We don't want to walk in the path. See, that's Proverbs 1. I'm Psalms 1. All right, Proverbs 1.22. Boy, this goes back way to the very beginning of this series, back to chapter 1. Verse 20, wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. We can appreciate that. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. And here we got people today that want to separate out morality from, you know, public morality from personal morality or, or public morality from spiritual, from biblical norms and standards. You can't do that. How long, O oh naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? 
So here's the fool. Here's Pethy. Here's the fool. He, uh, he's naive. He's simple-minded. Okay, And there's nothing wrong with that for a time. Okay, For a child. For a little kid, of course. All children are ignorant. <laughs> right? Um, all children are, are they, they're, they're stupid. They've got to learn. They've got to grow. Okay? Not stupid in the sense of, I mean, they have faculties. But I'm saying that until they learn, they're vulnerable to learning the wrong way, the wrong thing, the wrong stuff. So you've got to teach them the right way, the right stuff, the right things. See? And, and God has designed parents to do that. There's not only is there information that goes across, but there is a love relationship between the generations that fosters trust, that fosters faith, that, tr- that fosters a pistuo activity, see? So pistuo and pistis are trained right from the youngest of ages in that here is a father that is faithful. You can trust what he says. You can trust that he cares for you. You can trust that he provides for you. Remember when we first started homeschool? I told you this story. We first started homeschooling, and here's Bob and kinder or Bobby, we called him back then, in kindergarten, and he's getting his first little history lessons about the founding of America and uh, the different presidents that we've had. And I said, did you know that the first president we ever had in, in America was a Bolander? And he was impressed. He goes, wow, I didn't know that. The first president of the United States was a Bolander? And then it just hit me. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Careful now. Danger, right? You know, danger, Will Robinson. Danger. This kid will believe anything I tell him. This kid is, is a trusting, ignorant sponge. And if I tell him this, he'll believe it. I better tell him the truth. I got to get him grounded in the truth. And if I'm going to joke with him, he better understand when I'm joking and when I'm not joking and, and, and learn the difference there because. You know, otherwise it's not joking, it's lying, and, 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 and <laughs> yeah. So, but it hit me at that time, I thought, wow, you know, I'm a young parent, first time, don't know what I'm doing, and it just, it hit me. This kid would believe anything, and uh, that's, that's kind of dangerous, but it's also a blessing. And so, um, <clears throat> how long, oh naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? First of all, there should be a duration that you don't want to go past that, you don't want to be simple-minded too long and then will you love it do you love being ignorant or do you not love being ignorant does it bother you the things you don't know that you want to know does that bother you or are you just fat dumb and happy and content to just not know nothing and and see that's the problem here the sluggard the 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 scoffer um, actually can prolong his ignorance because that's an escape that's a way of not being accountable well if i don't know well then well, you should know. That's the point. It's time to grow up. It's time to deal with adult capacity. <clears throat> so don't love being simple-minded. Hate being simple-minded. Love the truth. Love the information. As God's revealed it for you. How long will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing. And fools hate knowledge. This whole thing about scoffers scoffing and delighting in their scoffing, it becomes a form of entertainment for them. They delight in it. It's playing. It's the kind of delight that, you know, you just get a thrill. It's fun to scoff. You get a little charge out of it. Well, God scoffs at the scoffers. 
And we get that in, uh, <coughs> and you'll notice uh, there's, there's discipline that comes at this. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. God is very good at communicating. and He will cause you to know truth. And so if you willfully reject his truth and insist on prolonging your uh, ignorance, you will come under the hand of God's discipline at that point. Verse 24, because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. In the New Testament, this is called uh, grieving, quenching, and resisting the Holy Spirit. You are hard of heart. You're, you're dull of hearing. You neglected all my counsel. You did not want my reproof. So I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. This is the nature of divine discipline. It's like for like in kind. That you were mocking as a scorner, as a scoffer. So now God's scoffing at you. How do you like me now? Okay, that's how God deals with it. And even in the discipline, that discipline is designed to open our eyes to, oh, that's what I've been doing this whole time. Yeah, I've been a scoffer. Now God's scoffing. He who sits in the heavens laughs. All right. Anyway, that's uh, chapter 1. I'd love to teach that all over again, but we can't. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3. <coughs> you know this verse because this is the verse that gets cited in, in James and in 1 Peter. And the, uh, the doctrinal translation, the doctrinal interpretation comes out in the New Testament where it says he is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Well, guess what? What does it mean to be opposed to the proud? It means that he scoffs at the scoffers. And that's what we see here. Though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. And this is the doctrinal principle that underlies what we have there in James 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5, 5. <coughs> so we don't want to be that scoffer. And uh, maybe, we, maybe uh, you rejected all of parental wisdom growing up. Well, you're going to get it in spades now because your heavenly father is going to deal with you as with a son. Okay, in your adult capacity. Uh, chapter 9, verses 7 and 8. Remember this? This was more recently than the other ones. <coughs> You've got to be careful. This is kind of in the conclusion of parental wisdom. He who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself, and he who reproves a wicked man gets insults for himself. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. And it's interesting, as this comes at the end of the parental wisdom section, as you start to adjust to your young adults, as you start to adjust to your teenagers, you start to adjust to that next generation as they're on the they're approaching uh, launch, or failure to launch, as the case may be. And uh, we have those principles there. Because uh, if they're already in that point where they're not listening to the reproof, then uh, they've got a rough road ahead of them in their, in their adult capacity. All right. <coughs> now, there are illustrations for this, and, uh, and I think we have it throughout the Old Testament. I think several illustrations throughout the Old Testament. But the ones that are maybe the most uh, uh, vivid in my mind are Esau, on the one hand, and then uh, Eliab, David's oldest brother, on the other hand, uh, specifically because for what they represent, we're not talking about simply a defiant child that is 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 uh, 
in rebellion against parental authority. We're talking about sons with a total rejection for their parents' spiritual priorities. All right? And that's Esau, a base and godless man Esau. He sold his birthright, and he didn't care. The inheritance, he didn't care. To be a son of Abraham and a son of Isaac, he doesn't care. And um, to, to have no appreciation or frame of reference to embrace the Word of God, that's, that's defiant. That's the scoffer. Okay? And uh, that becomes, a, 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 I think that becomes the issue for what we're looking at here throughout, throughout the book of Proverbs. That's truly what the scoffer is when, uh, when we center on it. So um, we know the story, I believe. Uh, <coughs> Genesis 25. And, uh, of course, Isaac has twin boys. And uh, yet the prophecy, while still in the womb, was that the older will serve the younger. And that was the prophecy in the womb. And uh, so Rebecca gives birth to these twins, to um, Esau first, the firstborn, and then to Jacob, because Jacob's always running late. And uh, I tease our song leader on Sunday mornings when he comes in right at that 11 o'clock hour or 10.59 or 11.02, living up to the Jacob vocabulary of holding on to Esau's heel. Um, anyway, we get down to 25.34, <coughs> now they're adult children, and um, what am I looking for here? 25.34. So... Um, as they come in here, verse 27, the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field. Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. There's nothing wrong with either of those. The issue is not uh, the job you take or the career field you pursue or anything of the sort. <coughs> Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Doesn't say why, just says it was. And so there's favorite children by their parents for different reasons. And you have temporal life things, if, if you have earthly interests in common, well then there you go. Dad likes to hunt, son likes to hunt, there you go. The younger son uh, doesn't like to hunt. Um, he likes to stay in the tent because there's dirt and bugs out there, and, and I get that. Um, but here's the point though, okay? The younger son is the son of promise, he's the son of blessing. And so um, Jacob had cooked stew, that's a useful skill our young men need to learn how to cook my mother told me she said you either better re-enlist or you better get married and when she was not impressed with my cooking um, capacity so I didn't want to re-enlist right. so Jacob had cooked stew Esau came in from the field and was famished and Esau said to Jacob please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there for I am famished Therefore his name was called Edom. He gets the name red, or red stuff. <coughs> but Jacob said, first, sell me your birthright. Now there's all kinds of doctrine that goes into this because the birthright was his anyway. But it's curious to me, his by promise, but not yet realized. Yahweh had made a promise that the older would serve the younger. And yet Isaac had not yet made good on that promise 
Isaac had not yet ratified that. Isaac had not formalized that. He has two adult sons, and apparently Esau still is in that uh, birthright category. And he's, and uh, so Jacob says, first, sell me your birthright. And so we might ask, uh, if God makes a promise, does he need our help keeping it? Do we take matters in our own hands to uh, achieve what God said he was going to provide? No, I don't believe we do in any event. Esau said, Behold, I'm about to die. What use then is the birthright to me? And that there tells the story. That's the scoffer. That's the scoffer right there who, who views the Abrahamic birthright as useless, who views the Abrahamic birthright as nonsense. And here's the Abra- what's the Abrahamic birthright? The Abrahamic covenant. <laughs> the seed of Abraham. The, the, I mean, everything we saw in, in, in Galatians, right? The promise that was made to Abraham and to his seed. And here's Esau that blows it off and says, I don't care about any of that. I want a bowl of soup. I want that, that's, that smells good. And for a single meal, Hebrews says, for the price of a single meal, it shows you the, the valuation that he places here. This is a scoffer. So Jacob gave Esau bread, and uh, so Jacob said, first swear to me, so he swore to him, sold his birthright to Jacob with an oath. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. He ate and drank, rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. And this is, this is an ideal illustration. This is, this is right on target for what Proverbs describes as the scoffer. The scoffer who knows better, the scoffer that doesn't care, the scoffer that, that despises what, should, what ought not be despised. <clears throat> Get over to chapter 27 and uh, it goes from bad to worse. And uh, this is now the stolen blessing. And interestingly enough, again, this is taking matters into your own hands, not waiting for God to provide not waiting for God to, uh, to make good on what He promised He would do. Now you're going to take matters in your own hands. And you might say that there was nothing illegitimate about the, the stew and the, and the purchase of the birthright. It was a voluntary exchange. It was a good capitalistic endeavor. <laughs> um, it was a free will exchange. Nothing, uh, there, were no, there was no deception. There was no extortion. There was no sin per se, other than I think an omission, lack of faith on Jacob's part. Here though there is. There is deception. There's lying. There's disguising. There's manipulation. There's conspiracy. And Rebecca's in on it. In fact, it's Rebecca's plot that Jacob uh, executes. Okay, And hey, you know, your, your, your father has vision of issues and he's about to die. Okay, He thinks he's about to die. He doesn't die for several more years after this, but he thinks he's going to die. And why has he been struck in blind? Why does he have the eyesight issues? What was going on in Isaac's life that the hand of God was upon him in this way? Okay, Why has he not already validated the birthright? Why has he not already bestowed the blessing? And as you read through this chapter here in chapter 27, keep in mind we pay a lot of attention here to the, uh, to the deception. Right? <clears throat> in verse 18, my father... He said, here I am, who are you, my son? And Jacob said, I am Esau, your firstborn. So we, we pay attention here to the lie, but keep in mind, 
Isaac um, goes through with it. Although he's at first suspicious, how is it you've so quickly, uh, you've come back so quickly? And he said, because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. God's with me. Okay? That just compounds it. Not only is he lying, now he's lying and giving credit to God for what he's doing in deception. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come close that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. Why is he so skeptical? And you wonder how, what, what kind of dysfunctional family was this and, and with Esau, with Jacob, and with things that he's been told in the past that he wondered if they were true or not. So Jacob came close to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Because remember they had the, 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 the skins that were put on the back of his hands and his neck. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Now the thing to keep in mind in verse 23, when Isaac blessed Jacob, he thought he was blessing Esau. Isaac is in absolute rebellion against the plan of God. As far as Isaac knows, Isaac is blessing Esau. From his viewpoint, that's what he's doing. And he thinks he's successful in so doing. And, uh, and then he said, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. And he still has that doubt, that nagging thing in the back of his mind, even though he's already sinned. He's already rebelled. So bring it to me. I will eat of my son's game that I may bless you. And so <coughs> there it is. And uh, come close and kiss me, my son. Came close and kissed him. Smelled the smell of his garments. He blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. You know, he liked camping. He liked hunting. He liked being out there in the field. He liked the, the time that he spent with Esau. Now may God give you the dew of heaven. May the fatness of the earth and an abundant, and we're talking about fatness in Proverbs 13, the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. May peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers. Now he thinks he's saying this to Esau and he's uttering this in defiance of Yahweh. But in the grace of God, Yahweh is repeating his prophecy. Be master of your brothers. May your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you. Blessed be those who bless you. And so God allows the uh, sin of Isaac to confirm his prophecy that the older will serve the younger. And it's through Jacob that uh, Jacob is the one renamed Israel. Jacob is the one that's the 12 tribes of Jacob, not the 12 tribes of Esau. All right, so it came about as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac. I mean, barely, barely got out of there. You wonder if there was a back door to the tent or something that he escaped out one way while Esau's coming in the other way. And he comes in and says, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. Well, who are you? I'm, Isaac, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Okay, deja vu all over again. And Isaac trembled violently and said, who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me? So I ate of it. And yes, he shall be blessed before you came. And I blessed him. Yes, he shall be blessed. And now he knows. He's doomed. He knows. He's under the hand of God's discipline that, uh, that he was uh, 
He was, this is the overruling will of God, right? The directive will of God, the permissive will of God, the overruling will of God right here in this story. <clears throat> so when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with exceeding great and bitter cry. And this is what happens. If you're not spiritually minded, then you're uh, violent, then you're um, dissatisfied. Bless me, even me also, my father. Do you only have one blessing? Your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. He said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. Now wait a minute, you agreed to that first one. What are you blaming him for? He took away my birthright. No, he didn't. You sold it to him. Quit blaming others. And now he's taken away my blessing. Well, yes and no. God, you never had a blessing. Okay? Okay. Your blessing was to serve your brother. And Isaac replied, Behold, I have made him your master, and all his relatives I have given to him as servants, and with grain and new wine I have sustained him. Now as for you then, what can I do, my son? Well, do you only have one? There's only one firstborn. Okay? The birthright and the blessing. And they've gone now to Jacob. So Isaac prophesies, behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall your dwelling, away from the dew of heaven above. So, so much for the fatness. By your sword you shall live and your brother you shall serve. You've got the mercenary life in front of you. But it shall come about when you become restless, you will break his yoke from your neck. So Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And this is what happens. This is a scoffer. And with a scoffer who thinks he knows everything is then proven that he doesn't, well now, anger, violence. And we're going to see that in Proverbs 13. We're going to see violence and anger on the part of the scoffer. The days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Isaac, <laughs> or my brother Jacob. Okay? Just look out, as soon as dad is dead, so are you. Okay? That's the threat. And this carries on to the next generation, right? Because didn't Joseph's brothers think the same thing? When, uh, when Jacob dies, now the brothers are in Egypt thinking, uh-oh, Joseph's going to kill us. He's the grand vizier of Egypt. And now that dad's dead, we're, we're doomed. See, well, that's again the, the pattern, the sins of the father that get passed to the next generation, to the next generation, and aspects there. It's, it's curious to me, though. Fast forward 20 years. Go to... Um, Chapter 33. <clears throat> of course, Rachel, uh, Rebecca's not going to let her son get murdered, so she ships him off to her brother's uh, land, and he's going to live there. He's going to marry, and then remarry, and then re- remarry. He's going to end up with four wives by the time he's done, and uh, a dozen kids and a daughter. He's going to come back. And uh, on the way back... He's going, to, um, he's going to keep sending messengers. He's going to uh, keep dispatching gifts. And uh, he sends little uh, bribes ahead of him. Okay? And uh, so he sends a messenger. And, and you can read about this. It's all throughout chapter 32 and 33. Um, in chapter 32, he even divides up into two camps, figuring, well, if Esau attacks one camp, then we can, the other camp can escape. And, um, and then he sends gifts ahead, little bribes. Um, and so when, we, when you read here in Genesis 32, 4, 
Thus you shall say to my Lord, to my Lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and have stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. He's terrified. He is absolutely terrified. He wants to obey the will of God, get back in the promised land, but Esau's there. And last time he saw Esau, Esau wanted to kill him. And so he's going to send little gifts. And then messengers return and say, hey, we found him. We we came to your brother Esau, and furthermore, he's coming to meet you. (laughs) And 400 men are with him. Uh Uh-oh, that can't be good. Okay? So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. For he said, if Esau comes to the one, attack the one company, the other one can escape. Okay? <clears throat> All right. So Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your relatives, I will prosper you. Okay? I'm trying to obey you, Lord. <laughs> you want me to go back to the land of promise, but this is terrifying. And I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and all the faithfulness with which you have shown your servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan, now I become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he will come and attack me and, my, and the mothers and with the children. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered." So and this is positive. He's, he has fear. He takes his fear to the Lord and he, lay, he lays it before the Lord. But then he continues to uh, take matters into his own hands. See, when we go to the Lord in prayer, leave it there. Don't just pray about it and then, again, take it back and try to put matters in your own hands and try to wheel and deal and bargain and do something. All right, I'm out of time. He spent the night there and he selected from what he had a present for his brother. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milking camels, four colts, uh, their colts, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys. Uh, he had a lot because this is just the bribe. This is just the gift that he's sending. Deliver them to the hand of his servants. Every drove by itself said to his servants, pass on before me, put a space between droves, you know, kind of a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here. You talk about manipulations. Hmm. All right. Anyway, I'm out of time. Well, we'll pick up here next week because what's interesting to me, Esau doesn't want any of it. And Esau continues to despise the Abrahamic birthright. And when you get down to the later verses here, he says, you know, I got enough. I don't need any of this. In 33.9, Esau said, I have plenty, my brother. Let what you have be your own. He says, I'm a self-made man. I went out, I made mine. I intermarried with the seer and the daughters of seer. I've got my own sons now, my own 12 tribes, my own wealth. I'm I'm content with what I've got. I don't even care about your wealth anymore. I don't care about Isaac's wealth. I don't care about the Abrahamic covenant. I have plenty, my brother. Let what you have be your own. And it's interesting. So, thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for chapter 13. Pray that we would learn the difference between a wise son and a sluggard, a wise son and a fool, a wise son and uh, a scoffer. And Father, uh, provide and provide abundantly. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.